Our reading today is from the second um, letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, to be found on page 1165 of the Bible. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. Paul's vision and his thorn. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, let me have my own welcome to our service this morning. My name's Tom, I'm the vicar here at Emmanuel. And it's my privilege to introduce Andy uh, to you. Andy, do come on up. Uh, and Andy's going to be speaking to us and bringing God's word to us this morning. Uh, Andy was the pastor at a wonderful church in Oxford, Woody Road, uh, for many years and now trains others for ministry and works part-time for a charity called Living Out, uh, which helps people and churches to talk about issues of sexuality and of faith. Uh, and I've invited Andy twice this term. I've invited him to preach for us this morning, and I'm very much looking forward to that. And then Andy will be coming and bringing a couple of others uh, again in March, on Saturday, the 16th of March, for the morning to help us think through some of these things in more detail. And I do encourage you to save that date and to come and join us in March. Uh, but for now, let's pray for Andy as he brings us God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active stronger than any two-edged sword, that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We thank you that your word is alive. And we pray, Lord, that this morning you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for Andy. We thank you for his love for you. 
and his love for us, your people. And we pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that through him you would speak to us, that we might all know Jesus better. And we pray it in your wonderful name. Amen. Well, morning all. Lovely to uh, see you. Great to be with you this morning and also very much looking forward to being with you in March. Let me explain a little bit of my story. In March, I'm coming to speak around issues of faith and sexuality, which I spend half my life doing, and that's quite a strange thing to do. So let me give you a little bit of my story as to why I do that, and then we're going to talk about stuff that will be true for all of us. I had the, uh, the privilege of being born with uh, Christian parents, born into a Christian family. I had the misfortune of being born age 40. Uh, and essentially that meant as a kid, I wanted to be an adult. And so for the first 12 years of my life, if I'm honest, I pretty much hated church because things like action songs and memory verses, they were just childish stuff. And I wanted to be an adult. Until around the age of 12, Two or three things happened, and it dawned on me that the God I'd heard about as a kid was real, and I needed to know. And I remember the moment, actually, where God's Spirit just worked in my life, and I decided to follow Jesus. Not long after that, like most human beings, started to develop romantic feelings, sexual attractions, and this wasn't something that I chose, but found those as a teenager heading towards boys rather than girls. 30 years on, they still head towards men rather than women. And so in a sense, one of the big questions for me for 30 years has been, how do I live for Jesus, which is what I want to do, whilst experiencing attraction to people of the same sex? And if you want to know how I do it, come in March. <laughs> because what I want to focus on this morning is this. How do you live with things you wouldn't choose that sometimes you find quite painful and still follow Jesus? How do you live with those things? How do you put those things together? Because I can guarantee around the room, even if you don't empathize with my story of sexuality, you will empathize with a story of something in your life you didn't choose and you sometimes find painful. I can pretty much guarantee everybody will have something. It could be a painful situation in your family. It could be the pain of singleness, that's something I know a little bit about. It could be a medical condition. It could be work is just a nightmare for you. It could be a mental health struggle. Something that makes you resonate with a phrase we had in that passage that was read to us, a thorn in the flesh. You know, as I end up speaking about thorns in the flesh, often people think, yeah, I know what mine is. I know what mine is. And sometimes that thorn in the flesh might feel like a little scratch. Sometimes it will feel like the kind of thing that somebody is ramming deep into you. And it just hurts. Any approach to life needs to be able to deal with thorns. Any Christian faith, or, or actually if you're here this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Here's my gentle challenge to you. Have you got an approach to life that can deal with thorns? Stuff in life that is painful that you wouldn't choose. Let's consider what thorns look like for Paul. This is possibly my favorite passage 
in the Bible because I vividly remember, it's probably when I was a student last century, uh, this passage changing my life. You know, as I was learning what it was to live with my sexual attractions, wanting to live for Jesus, this was the passage where God just spoke and turned me around. And I wonder whether he might do something similar in our lives this morning. Because let's go to Corinth. Corinth is one of those churches that Paul has planted. He went to Corinth, he preached the, uh, the gospel, even though he was really nervous and scared. And God works, and a church starts to be established. And Paul is there for a while, then has to depart. And it's probably fair to say that the relationship that Paul has with the church in Corinth after that goes up and down a little bit. So he's there, 1 Corinthians, he has to deal with just various things that are going wrong in the church. And by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, it's become evident that there are some other leaders who've arrived. And these other leaders are superb. You know, they're eloquent, brilliant speakers. You know, they just manage to tell the right jokes and then just get the sort of emotion going at the right moment. They're such brilliant speakers that people are willing to pay loads of money to listen to them. They're strong personalities. They seem to have the right family backgrounds. And they have great experience of God. And they're so brilliant that they're beginning to say, yeah, all right, Paul was quite useful setting you up, but you don't really need to bother with Paul anymore. I mean, he just writes these irritating letters. Just ignore him. And essentially, what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians is he's writing to defend himself, writing to explain why he does his ministry. Not because he desperately wants them to pay attention to him, but he's concerned that these other leaders are taking them away from Jesus. And so 2 Corinthians is Paul's long defense as to why they should keep listening to him. And in chapter 11, basically starts boasting. He kind of says, do they have the right background? Well, so do I. All right, I might not be as good a speaker as they are, but I do have knowledge. And he, he kind of ends up trying to match them, but he keeps saying, I'm a fool to do this. <laughs> he was kind of saying, I've got to kind of defend myself. I've got to kind of say what they've got, I've got. But he keeps saying, I'm just a fool to do this. I don't really like boasting about myself. It's not about me. And then we get to 2 Corinthians 12. It's quite clear in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this man who's been up into the third heaven, and he's talking about himself. Do you you ever been in those situations where you kind of go to somebody and say, can I have some advice for a friend of mine? Have you ever done that, where you're kind of talking about yourself and you kind of suggest it's this friend of yours? That's kind of what Paul's doing in 2 Corinthians 12. He's kind of saying... They've had these great experiences. Well, I've been up to the third heaven, but I'm so embarrassed about boasting about it that I'm kind of going to kind of almost pretend it wasn't me. But then he moves on. He says, I don't want to just get you to listen to me because I've got the right family and because I've got knowledge and because I've been up to the third heaven. No, I want to tell you about my thorn. And the reason he's going to tell them about his thorn is he wants them to have a right vision of the Christian life. A right vision of the Christian life, which, let's be honest, isn't always about wonderful experiences, isn't always about being able to be eloquent, but is often 
about living with stuff we wouldn't choose. And Paul wants to explain a true vision of the Christian life. And so he talks about this thorn in the flesh that was given in, a messenger of Satan. What I want to do is just very briefly talk about the thorn, talk about the purpose of the thorn, talk about the promise with the thorn. So he says he's given this thorn in the flesh. It's described as a messenger of Satan. It's clearly something that is deeply painful because three times Paul is pleading with the Lord, Lord, take this away from me. Lord, it hurts so much. Will you take it from me? Lord, please get rid of it. And we don't really know what it was. It might be that he had some medical condition, some illness. Some people think it was a sort of particular opponent who was sort of doing Satan's work and sort of kept criticizing him. And let's be honest, when we have those relational conflicts, boy, are they painful. We don't really know what it is, and I suspect it's probably quite useful. Because it means so often lots of Christians can think, yeah, maybe Paul's thorn was different from mine, but I, I know how he feels. I wonder whether around the room there are people who can think there are things that I've prayed maybe 333 times for the Lord to take out of my life. And it's hard. And it's painful. And I remember that moment for me, sort of 25, 30 years ago, growing up wrestling with sexuality, which was a slightly different thing to wrestle with 30 years ago in many ways. And I think by the time I'd sort of got to uh, this time when I heard this sermon, probably at least 333 times, I said, Lord, I'd love to get married and have kids. And Lord, please, won't you take this away from me? And so we see Paul's thorn and my guess is lots of us around the room can know what it's like. And God doesn't answer the way that Paul probably hoped he would. You see it. He was given this thorn, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And essentially what God is saying to Paul is, no, I'm not going to take it from you because you are more useful to me with this thorn than without it. You will end up having a deeper knowledge of me with this thorn than if I take it away. I'm not going to take it from you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, there are certain things you can only learn about God with a thorn. Actually, that's the big message of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, so 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is all about the things you can only learn when you feel weak and needy. It's fascinating the way Paul starts the letter to Corinthians. Don't know about you, if somebody was sort of threatening me and saying, oh, Paul's yesterday's guy, I'll tell you how I would have started 2 Corinthians. Dear Corinthians, who I founded, can I just give you a list of all the churches I've created around the ancient world? By, by the way, did I tell you about my, the way my hankies healed people in Ephesus? Oh, and 
Do you remember that road to Damascus, how God commissioned, you know, me? That's how I would have started the letter. And he starts the letter saying, praise be to the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion who comforts us in all our troubles. And he's saying, actually the Christian life will often feel difficult. Because that's the only way you get to know the God of all comfort. You do know you can only know the God of all comfort when you actually need comfort. And those moments when the thorn is stabbing into you. And you're saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I know in the midst of this you love me. And you're the father of compassion. The one who doesn't stand aloof from a world of suffering, but in the person of Jesus will enter it. You can only know that sort of God with a thorn. Actually, you can only really help others with a thorn. This God of comfort who comforts us in our troubles, chapter one, so that we can comfort others. Talk about you. If I am in deep pain, the last person I want to go to is somebody who's never had any difficulties. Frankly, they're a nightmare. I want to go to somebody who's been comforted by Jesus themselves so they can comfort me. And the benefit of a thorn, whatever it is for you, will mean that you can begin to pour the Lord's comfort into other people's lives as they see the way God's kept you going. Or in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul always says, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So this thorn-like thing he lives with kind of works a death in him so that the true life of Jesus will be revealed. Because let's be honest, a Christian life with no thorn doesn't look very, you know, Jesus-like, does it really? Because we see the supreme leader is the one who will have the ultimate crown of thorns. As in weakness, and humiliation, he will be led to the cross. Or here, Paul says, why was I given this thorn? To keep me from becoming conceited. You know, God doesn't want Paul wandering around saying, hey, I've been up to the third heaven, don't you know? He wants Paul as a humble leader who says, every day I need you. Every day I need your help, I need your strength. Imagine with me for a moment, if you will, super Christian. Super Christian's got a brilliant, outgoing personality. Super Christian is brilliantly educated. Super Christian never goes through any doubts or struggles. Super Christian seems to sort of just open his mouth and everybody is saying how wonderful they are. And after a while, people say, you know, super Christian, oh, how much we need super Christian. And super Christian is thinking, yeah, you do. And he doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. He works through Christians who say, God, I need you. Because I'm weak. Because I have to live at times through stuff I find painful. That's the kind of one God works through. It's funny, pretty much every Christian leader I know has got a thorn. You know, sometimes it's not very public, but, but every Christian leader I know well has got something something they wouldn't have chosen. Because Paul says that's the way it works. That's the way I learn 
about God's power. It's because as I live with this thorn, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why it says I even delight in persecutions and opposition because that presses me more deeply onto the Lord and needing him. Can you begin to see actually why this sermon changed my life? Because actually, probably for me, it was the Lord saying, actually, and they're not actually, in your case, going to change your basic sexual attractions. And for me, that's involved living a celibate life. But he was also saying, there's a purpose in that. This is the way you will get to know me more deeply. This is the way you will hopefully help others. To be honest, every other aspect of my life has been smooth, living good family, good job, Health has been fine. I'd have been a nightmare as a church leader without this. Oh, you're going through difficulties. Gosh, that must be hard. No idea what that's like. This passage means the world to me. But my hope is that it will also shape us. Shape us as to how God often works. remember being in Kenya and... This was totally mad. It was a, a group of Kenyan church leaders, and for some reason they'd asked me to come and speak. This was about 15 years ago. I was in my late 20s. It was in Kibera, the main slum area of Nairobi, and they asked me to speak on suffering, which was the most ludicrous idea going, as though I knew anything about suffering talking to a load of Kenyan pastors in a slum area. But anyway, we talked through 2 Corinthians. They'll never what happened when actually a genuine Kenyan church leader stood up after I'd spoken. He said, look, you guys have been through an awful lot, but I want you to do something really hard now. I want you right now in your hearts to thank God for the good that he's brought into your life through those hard things. And boy, was that hard for some of them. And it's kind of what Paul does here, isn't it? I delight in weaknesses. I delight in those things that I wouldn't have chosen. Because they're the very way that I get to know God better. And have to rely on him more. And discover him as the God of all comfort in a way that he wouldn't have known otherwise. And Paul is even saying, I can see the good that God has done through a thorn. You know the Christian distinctive about suffering? The thing about suffering as a Christian isn't that it's any less painful. And this stuff doesn't make the thorn less hard to bear. The thing about suffering as a Christian is at least you can say, but. This is hideous, this is painful. But I know God's doing something through this. And that will sometimes be said through the deepest emotion and tears. But it's why earlier on in 2 Corinthians, Paul would describe his life as sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Because even as he goes through stuff that was agonizing, that he pleads with God to stop, he can say in the end there's always reasons to trust him and so you see the purpose of the thorn 
The purpose of the thorn to keep him from becoming conceited, to press him more deeply into God, early in 2 Corinthians, to enable him to comfort others. But lastly, do you notice the promise with the thorn? What God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul I'm not going to take it away. You may well indeed have to live with this pain the rest of your life. But my grace will be enough for you. I I will keep you going. Just a few chapters earlier, he talked about that grace, which we often talk about at Christmas. the, The grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. And what God is saying to you, that grace of Jesus, that generosity of Jesus that will take him from heaven down to the agonies of Bethlehem, that grace will flow into your life every day. And it will keep you going. And it will be enough. I was a church leader until about six months ago was when I finally left the, the church I'd pastored. And I, I kind of made a mistake, actually. I asked one of my, one of my colleagues, said, look, we'll, we'll do a sort of interview with you as you leave. And it was sort of half-hour extended interview. And, and actually, the interview ended with him saying, look, you've been at this church now 25 years. What, what would you say to yourself 25 years ago? Oh, it's funny. It was that question that made me crack and sort of ended up saying this through tears. But... And I said, look, what would I say to myself 25 years ago? I think it would be this. God's promised that his grace will be enough. And it will be. And it will be. Can I say, I love being in a congregation like this, where, looking around, some of you are a little bit older than me. And you will be able to testify, I guess through tears to some of the ways God's grace has been enough for you through things you wouldn't have chosen. And just looking around, actually, and seeing people praising the Lord, and I don't know you, but I don't doubt there are stories that sometimes make it hard to praise the Lord. And yet you still are. Because his grace will be enough. And one or two look a little bit younger than me. And my guess is already there will be aspects of your life, maybe personality things, maybe mental health things, maybe it is for some the pain of singleness. And you think, "Ah, I just want to say his grace will be enough. Just as it was for Paul, so it will be for us. You see, it may be in our case God will take the thorn away. He may well do that. He can do that. Often he does. Or we might not, and his grace will be enough. Can I be honest? That's often what I pray for people these days. Lord, please won't you change this situation? Or if you're not going to change this situation, please won't your grace be enough for them in it? Because that's what the Christian life is like. What your dream Christian life is like. For some of us, the dream Christian life is kind of nice house, nice family, nice church, nice job, nice health with a bit of Jesus. And sometimes God's dream for us is depending on him more deeply, helping others, and that won't always involve nice house, nice family, nice job, nice church. 
Because it's sometimes as those things are painful that they're learning God more deeply and helping others. That's the way it kicks in. So don't resent your thorn. Yes, it might be painful at times, but don't resent it. Let me end with this. It hasn't happened, obviously, now for a few years, but, but growing up, I always found the sort of things like the D-Day commemorations really moving. As you kind of see the veterans gather old now, but I guess as they get together, they would tell of scars they experienced of battles that they'd fought and how ultimately victory was achieved. And I always found that moving because I thought, that's what the new creation is going to be like. It'll be full of people who will be able to tell of scars and have talked of battles. And yet there, because God's grace has been enough, and he's got them to the end. On the day when we'll look at the one with the ultimate thorns who died for us that we might be there. Keep going. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet. It might be the stuff we want to say to the Lord right now. Just a moment to do that. Father, thank you that you are the God of all comfort and you're the Father of compassion. I thank you that you know us. Thank you that you know even some of the pain we experience when a phrase like thorn in the flesh gets mentioned. And Father, I want to pray for each of us here. Please, Lord, that maybe you might take the thorn away, but if not, please, Lord, may we know that this has a purpose to press us more deeply into you. And please, may we know that promise, your grace being enough for us all the days of our lives. Please, Lord, help us know you more deeply, we pray. And equip us to live with whatever you allow into our lives, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing because we don't do this alone. Whatever we face, we face with Christ in us. I think we're going to sing, aren't we?